to um, this evening. I'm going to go ahead and share it. I'm going to be going over to Jennifer Thomas's house in Elk City this evening, and we're going to baptize a bunch of people. She's got a swimming pool, and um, I don't. How many are we going to baptize? Do we know yet? Okay, we don't know yet. So I know we've got several lined up, and we're going to go over there this evening and and do that. So we're, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, been baptizing lots of people, and that's awesome. Advancing the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to, I love this chapter, I love all the book of Acts, but this chapter is Saul's conversion. And um, Saul was persecuting the church, and Jesus met him and knocked him off his high horse. And so we're going to read this. I'm going to go ahead, the, my main text is Acts chapter 9 verses 20 through 31. And I have that on PowerPoint, but I'm gonna, I, I wasn't going to read this, but I thought, no, I need to because I want to make sure that you understand what happened to Saul and, uh, and his conversion experience. So in uh, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to look in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, I love that, the way. There's actually a church in Oak City called the Way Church. I like that. The way, which means Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And I love that scripture because when you, Jesus says you're persecuting me, when, when somebody's persecuting the body of Christ, you're persecuting Jesus. And he said, you're doing this to me. And he goes, go to the city, and you're going to be told what to do. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. And you see how the Lord works. I mean, he, he appears to Saul, knocks him off his horse, bright light, all these things. And then to Ananias, he doesn't do that, but he appears in a vision. So God's God. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? So he appears to Ananias. Ananias says, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love how Ananias answered, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come, there, come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's like, uh, Lord, are you sure you got this right? You might want to send somebody else. So you got the right guy. Verse 15 says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. That's us, guys. And if it wasn't for the apostle, if it wasn't for Ananias being obedient to the Lord, you and I wouldn't be here today. One man's obedience, all right? We skip over Ananias a lot in Scripture. 
We all talk about Paul because of the great anointing that was upon his life. He wrote two-thirds through the Holy Spirit. Through him wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Jesus says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, that's us, and their kings, and before the people of Israel, also the Jewish people. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized, after, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Wow. That's a bunch right there. That's Paul's conversion. Now we're going to pick it up on the PowerPoint, and I'm going to read down through verse 31. Acts 9 through 31 is talking about uh, the apostle Paul, which is Saul, and I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit, how he went from Saul to Paul. Uh, but Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 31, and the first part of that down to 31 talks about Paul. The rest of the chapter talks about the apostle Peter. But in verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to notice that. At once, this man began to preach. He went from a persecutor to a proclaimer overnight. And here's what I want to show you something. The gospel is a gospel that transforms people. The true gospel of Jesus Christ delivers people, changes people, sets people free, and transforms them. That's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This man, and I'm gonna, I'll talk a little bit more about this here in just a little bit, but he was, a, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had the first five books of the, the Old Testament memorized. The word was in him. He just hadn't connected the dots yet that it was all pointing to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's already doing this in him. But at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and ask, isn't the, he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name, the name of Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul, they thought he was playing a trick on them. He's, he's preaching the name of Jesus so he can get people, and then he's going to take them all away. Verse 22, it says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah, because this man knew the word of God. He just didn't know how it connected to Jesus, but now he's starting to see it. Verse 23 says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. All of a sudden, now he's went from, he's killing people, now they're wanting to kill him. All right? Now, the other thing I want to point out here is whenever, I can still remember the day that I got saved. I can remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, guys, um, the grass was greener. Uh, I could hear the birds. Like life, just life. God, I could just hear and see God in everything around me. But the one thing that I loved about what happened in my conversion experience and that happened with Paul is the Word became alive. And I saw Jesus in the Word. So this is going on in Paul. Verse 24 says, But, Paul, but Saul learned of their plan Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all did I, did I, but they were all afraid of him. 
not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas. We need some Barnabases in these last days. Because there's going to be some people come to Christ that people are going to be scared of. And we need some Barnabases to bridge the gap. All right. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. And that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Golly, this guy's a ten times. If you'll read the book of Acts, there's ten times where people tried to, to kill the apostle Paul. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And we'll talk about this, and I thought this was comical. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers because they got rid of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> they, they had a time of peace. But that was the anointing that was upon this man's life. He had a, it, it, when he preached the gospel, it was very confrontational. And that was the anointing. Everybody carries a different anointing, right? I, I know that I carry a pastoral anointing. This man carried an apostolic anointing so that when he came into a city, he shook things up. I mean, that's that apostolic anointing that was upon his life. And so then he goes, um, we'll go to the New Testament and read a scripture that the Apostle Paul penned through the Holy Spirit when he's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's talking about himself. He's saying, my old life passed away. All things became new. That's what happens when you come to Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And so my question today, I formed the title of this message today, is are you new? Are you really new? This goes even with the last couple of messages that I've, the Lord's had me in this vein for some reason, and I'm just following this vein with him. But the question is, is are you new? And I'm going to give you four realities that we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, four realities of becoming new. How many of you are new here today? Amen. Okay. Here's the first one. The first thing that happened to the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to go ahead and call him the Apostle Paul because that's who he is, but the first thing that happened to him was he got a new faith. And guys, I want you to realize this wasn't, he didn't just get saved and add Jesus to his life. He got saved and Jesus changed his life. Jesus became number one, became Lord and Savior of his life. His whole paradigm, his mind changed. Um, uh, his whole worldview changed. Everything about him changed. It wasn't just coming to the altar and crying a little bit and, and saying, Jesus, I want to add you to my life. You know, No, he said, Jesus, you're Lord, and I'm going to be your servant. All right, so this was what was going on. Now, I'm going to just take you through, just to show you a little history of the Apostle Paul, and, um, and I'm going to jump around in a lot of scriptures where he talked about his life and who he was before he came to Jesus. In Acts 22, verse 3, he says this. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem. I studied under Gamiel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And that, the G, Gamiel, however you say his name, was a, uh, he was a scholar of the day, a theologian of the day of the word, okay, of the Old Testament. He said, I was thoroughly trained under him in the law of our ancestors. He goes, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. 
I was messed up in my theology because I thought Jesus was, was, the, uh, was not the answer and I need to get rid of Jesus so that people could see the one true God, but Jesus is God. They learned that through the, through the word. Then he, over in Philippians 3, verses 5 through 6, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, listen to this, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. He's basically saying, guys, I, I obeyed all 613 laws that they had as a Pharisee. I had the first five books memorized. I know this stuff. I, I, was, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he goes, and I'm a Jew all the way through. Over in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for, tra- for the traditions of my fathers. And then in Acts 26, verse 9, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth until what just happened to him in Acts chapter 9, what I read to you, verses 1 through 19. I'm just trying to get you to understand who the Apostle Paul was. He was an intellect. Um, He he knew the word of God, even though he he didn't know who Jesus was. Um, He was... uh, if you've ever studied the Enneagram, I think Paul was an eight on the Enneagram because he was confrontational, because um, that just happened. That was just who he was. That's how God wired him, and God used that to advance the kingdom of God. He was one of the greatest. He is one of the. the he is the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Um, and then in Acts chapter nine, verse twenty, it says what we just read. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, and he went from a persecutor of the gospel to a proclaimer of the gospel. How many of you know somebody that is an intellectual and they just can't see Jesus? Okay. What, and I, I'm, some of you in here knowing, and Carrie, your family is going to have a road to Damascus experience. Because whenever you was telling me that and you sent that text to us, that I, I, I believe this is a word from the Lord for you, and you need to grab a hold of it because he, he's going to come to know Jesus. I know this situation looks hopeless. You, you, when you look at it, you're like, I don't see how God could work through this, but he's going to. And he's going to have a road to Damascus experience with Jesus. And his life is going to be forever changed, and it's going to go down into your family big time. Guys, believe that. There's, there's a lot of people that their mind gets in the way of, of their faith and start praying this over them. Lord, I want them to have a road to Damascus experience with Jesus. All right, so that's number one. Paul got a new faith. So I want you to think about yourself when you came to, to the Lord. I'll just be honest with you. In my life, um, I knew about God, you know, had been around church a little bit. But I can tell you this, Jesus wasn't Lord of my life. I wasn't putting him first. Mark Haney was leading his own life. And then when I got the new faith, I started praying, God, who am I? Why am I here? What do you want me to do? And it's still unfolding to this day. And, um, And 
but it's a new faith. It's a new faith. I, I took faith in myself out of the equation, and I put my faith in him. He became boss hog, so to speak. He became the Lord of my life. There's a lot of people that are walking around, and I'm, I'm not judging, but um, you can't, like I've been telling you all, you can judge by the fruits. Uh, um, but there's a lot of people that they think they're saved, but they haven't made Jesus Lord of their life. You need... You get saved, and then there's, there's got to be some fruit start happening where Jesus starts becoming the Lord of your life, okay? And I know with every one of us, it's different and how that all unfolds and everything. God works, the Holy Spirit works with us each individually, but that's the steps. You get saved, and then all of a sudden, you start surrendering, 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 surrendering until Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. The Apostle Paul did it just like that. He surrendered. So then the next thing is, is the Apostle Paul realized he's in a new fight. He's not fighting against the church of Jesus Christ. He's fighting for it. And he goes, and this is, and I love what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And then in Galatians 1, verses 15 through 18, it says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, this is Apostle Paul talking to the church in Galatia, he said, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Well, listen to this. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. When I was studying this, a lot of scholars believe that the Apostle Paul, uh, when he had this experience and he immediately started preaching in the name of Jesus, people wanted to kill him. They told him, you need to go back to Tarsus. Well, what happened was he was so ingrained in the Old Testament, he thought, I just, I'm, I need to... This is what some scholars believe, that he, said, that he went back to Mount Sinai where Moses had his experience with God. And he went back to Mount Sinai, and we know what the Scripture says, that it may have been longer, but we know at least three years, because it says then after three years he went to Jerusalem. might have been longer than that. But they say that he went back to Mount Sinai, back to Tarsus and um, Mount Sinai, and uh, met with Jesus basically, and Jesus downloaded the gospel to this man, actually taught him the gospel, and, and to take that gospel back uh, to the Gentiles. So that's what some scholars believe happened with the apostle Paul. Picking back up in verse 22 of Acts chapter 9, it says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And so, and then in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 32 through 33, it says, In Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket. He's telling this story again. I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. And so this, this, this apostle, 
we had a, a new fight in him, but everywhere he went, he stirred stuff up, okay? People came into the kingdom of God, but he was constantly, he was constantly battling the kingdoms of darkness wherever he went. And I want you to know that we're doing that here in western Oklahoma. We're, try, we're trying to, we had a prophetic word spoken over our church when we first uh, broke ground out here that this, this, this spot right here was going to be a light for people than when they drove by here. And that's why I have you all pray for people that drive by here that there's going to be people come in here that are going to hear the gospel for the first time. There's a lot of people going to church today, guys, that haven't heard the gospel. And it's a gospel of transformation. It's a gospel of change. It's a gospel of deliverance. It's, it's good news. Amen. It's not, um, you know, the gospel is not a, something that you add to your life so you can cope with life. The gospel is something you, you surrender to and it changes your life. Acts 17, verse 6, um, just talking about... I'm just going to show you the different translations, uh, the NIV, the NLT, and then the, the Message Bible, what it said about the Apostle Paul. And, of course, he was always with the group, the other disciples. And it says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Acts 17, verse 6 says, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. They shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too. There's a reason why I'm, there's a reason why I'm reading this. Acts 17, verse 6, the message, these people are out to destroy the world, and now they've shown up on our doorstep attacking everything we hold dear. And I'm going to tell you, it is time for the church to start causing trouble. We're, we're living in a time of war, and it's time for the church to get on her two feet and start causing trouble and start telling people what bathroom to go to. God, help me, I never thought I would say that from a pulpit. But tell them what bathroom you need to go to. I told, my, I told Jada the other day, we were sitting there talking, and I had a pastor send me something. Guys, this is happening in Oklahoma, that there's a little boy that is, is uh, he wants to go use the girl's bathroom because he identifies as that. And he's, he's rising up and causing trouble. This is in Oklahoma. It's time for the church to rise up and cause some trouble. I told Jade, I said, if I ever see a little boy go in the bathroom with my granddaughter, I'm going in after him. And I'm gonna have a, we're going to have a confrontation. I'm the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but I'm telling you guys, it's time for the church to rise up and start speaking the truth. And there's a way to do it in love. There is, but we've got to be firm, guys. This, this is not, um, this is a time for trouble, a time for trouble. Uh, I, I told you all about me going to the Capitol here a week ago, and I, and I had a legislator break down and start bawling and said, I can take the heat, but I need pastors praying for us. I need pastors praying for us. And they were telling us that. And I, when we're, in, we're talking with them, because we got to get better at communicating so that we understand what they're dealing with there. We talked about all this, but he was talking about whenever certain things hit the, hit the floor that they're debating over. He said, like, if it's a fireman issue or a police officer issue, he said the whole balcony will be full of firemen or policemen, but when it's something to do with the church, the balcony is, is there's nobody there. And so we, we let him know that, hey, let us know so that we can be there, you know, and, and be a support. And so, so that we can cause, I hate to use that word, but so we can cause trouble. 
because we have got to start confronting this because it's, it's, it's here, guys. It is here. It's the, it's the kingdom of darkness trying to take over, and it's time for the church to rise up and start causing trouble and advancing the light. Because this is the deal. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who our battle's against. But just like God anoints people and puts them in place to do things, the enemy anoints people and puts them in place to do things. And, and the, uh, the one thing, if you'll study the Apostle Paul, he called those people out by name. And so we're living in that day and hour where you're going to have to start teaching your kids, calling people out by name. No, we, we, don't, we don't do that because we don't believe that way. Amen? Okay. And it starts at home, guys. It's going to continue in the church. You're, you're, as your pastor, I'm going to teach the truth. I'm going to, I'm going to cause all the trouble I can because we are living in some dark times right now. And today is the day, uh, by the way, today is the start of the, the uh, Jewish New Year. And um, fall festivals and all the thing, Rosh Hashanah, yes, I saw somebody say that. That's the, the, the New Year, and uh, Jesus could come back any moment. Um, for his church, and uh, but guys, I feel like there's, the, but he's coming back for a bride that's on fire, and is advancing the kingdom of God, and uh, and so here's the third thing, the third thing is a new family. When you come to the faith, when you um, and you f- you figure out the the fight that you're really in that you're not fighting against flesh and blood, you're going to realize that you need a family. And you need a church family. Everybody needs a church family. Um, we're all going the same place. You know, if somebody loves Jesus, they're family. If they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Um, I was thinking about this. I, heard, I read a statement the other day that uh, it was Pastor Tony Evans that said this. Uh, he said he had a, had a I was like, man, that's good. I'm going to have to remember that one. He said I had a, a parishioner, a congr- somebody in his congregation say, well, pastor, um, I don't have to go to church uh, to be a Christian. And he said, no, you, you don't. You know, Pastor Tony didn't. And Pastor Tony talked about some wisdom. He said, but uh, he said, you don't have to go home to be married either. But he said, but don't go home for a couple weeks and see what happens to your marriage. I thought, man, that's good. And uh, so, guys, you need a church family. You need one. And it's, it's more, than, and I thank God for technology and watching online, but we need to be around each other. You know, um, Dad said it this morning, and I'll, I'm going to herald it, is, is Will and Amanda, you guys are awesome parents getting your kids in church, because they, they bless me every Sunday when they, I see them come up. I see the, uh, she comes up here to Janice to get her offering. I was like, that's a new, that's a new way to get an offering. <laughs> Go to somebody else. Give me, give me your money, and I'll give it to you for the Lord. 
but it just, yeah, it, talk about double blessing. I, and I'm just, it just blesses me seeing that. And every Sunday when I stand up here and I see him coming up here and praying for rain, I know what he's praying for. He's praying for rain. And then I see her, her both of them going over here to give, and I'm like, man, that's it. Yeah, that is awesome. You know, and that's being a church family. That, but something's going right at home in that family, and that's where it starts at. And so we all need a new family. I'll never forget when I first, you're going to laugh at this, but this is the truth. When I first came to the Lord, um, Jade and I were living in Elk City, and after one year of marriage, we realized that we're not too good at this together, and we need Jesus at the center of our marriage and so Jada was raised in the Assemblies of God. And I said, well, I was raised, you know, Baptist and a uh, good old Southern Baptist boy. She was Assemblies of God. And she said, well, we're going to go to the Assembly of God Church. <laughs> I said, I'm following you. <laughs> you know, and that's the first time I'd ever heard, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit. And I was like, man, these people talk to God and they act like God's listening. <laughs> really, I'm serious. You know, it's not just blessing the food. I mean, the, we're having church. I mean, we're singing and we're praying and people are laying hands on each other. So I've never did any of this kind of... And then, you know, heard people speaking in tongues. I'm like, what's that? I was smart enough to know that I don't know what's going on here, but I want to know. And then I got into the Word for myself and figured it all out. And, uh, and the Lord began to show me things that I'd never seen before in the word, and thanks to Jada, and it was her mama that put that into her, into those kids, her mom, and, um, and so, and I'm going to get to meet Darlene one of these days in heaven, and get her approval for marrying her daughter, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we, so this was all going on, and I, you know, got saved, Jada and I, we, even though we were baptized when we were, I was nine, I think, when I was baptized, she was around that same age, too. When she was baptized, we decided, you know what, we're putting Jesus back at the center of our marriage, and let's get baptized together. So we did that, and we were, I think, 23 at the time when that happened. And, um, and you talk about a new family. I, I tell you guys, I, I, my church family was my family. I wanted to be at church. We were going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were getting involved, doing everything. And what, one of the best things that happened to me, guys, talking about a family... What really brought me into the kingdom of God was church softball. I'm serious. You all laugh at that, but it was. And I had a guy, my dad knows who he is, Mark Simpson. And this guy can talk your leg off, all right? He's probably going to hear this. And I love Mark. But Mark came up to me, and we're right close to the same age. He's maybe a few years older than me. He came up to me one Sunday, and he said, Hey, brother, do you play softball? I said, Oh, yeah, I love baseball and softball. He said, man, we got a church league softball team, and we don't ever get beat. And uh, he goes, we win the church league every year, and I want you, can, will you play with us? And I said, you bet. And so showed up and started playing with those guys. And I'm going to tell you what, guys, the anointing of softball came over me. I played like I'd never played before in my whole life. And I attribute it to because I was playing for him. <laughs> I really do. But these guys became my brotherhood, and I got to know more of them that were on the team and there were some of these guys that would go out on Saturday night and go evangelizing. And I started going with them. And we, we, there was one guy, he was really bold. He was like the Apostle Paul. He said, Mark, you want to go with us this Saturday night? We're going we're gonna to go bar hopping. I said, really? And he said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go to bars and we're going to just meet people and invite them to church on Sunday. And I said, you bet, I'll go with you. 
I'll never forget, I walked in this one bar. That was the first time in my life when I realized, you know, I'd already, I'd, my BC days would, went to bars all the time. I was a frequent one out here at LBJ. And, uh, but, the, but once I came into the light, here, here, I'm going to give you this revelation. Once I came into the light, the, the first bar I walked into, I was like, my gosh, it's dark in here, you know? And then I realized, that, you know, this is darkness, right? And I'll never forget, I had a, I had a flyer, and I was watching my friend. He was just bold going around, hey, you know, we love you. Come to church, you know, and I walked up to this guy, and I handed him a flyer, you know, to come to church. And he looked at me like I had fallen off of, of, you know, my high horse, you know, and he said, what in the world are y'all doing here? Like that. And I said, well, we're just here loving on you and want to invite you to church, you know. And I just said, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, but here's the deal. Sometimes when you plant seeds, they're not going to be received very well sometimes. And, uh, but a seed was planted that day. But, but what I found out, and we had more, guys, we laughed. We'd, we'd walk out of there. When we go in these bars two by two, just like Jesus sent them out, and we'd walk out laughing, and, and ju- we just had a blast, had a good time, and it was fun. And I was like, man, I like these guys. This is, this is my kind of family. And, uh, and guys, it was through that family, and we was in that church for several years, that where I really grew in the Lord. And, but how I grew was getting around other believers and getting to know them. And, and not just knowing their name, but I mean, we, we, when you start getting to know people, when you get to know each other, the good, bad, and the ugly, that's, that's when you're really discipling each other. And uh, because we all got the good, the bad, and the ugly, amen? And we all need each other. We're a family. That's why we have to have grace for one another. And this is the Apostle Paul. He, was, he, had, he, was, he became part of a family, even though they were like, I don't know if we want Paul a part of our family because I think he's pr- trying to play a trick on us. Thank God for Barnabas. It says, but when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And so we see and what I wanted to point out in this about the new family is, is the Barnabas. And we need more in these last days, guys, we need Barnabases that are not going to be afraid to reach out to people and bring them into the family. Because there's going to be people that's not, they don't look like us, they don't act like us, but the gospel has set them free and we need to bring them in so that they can be a part of the family. And it's going to take all of us doing that. Here's the fourth thing that the Apostle Paul got, the fourth reality of this, this new faith, of coming to Jesus, of becoming new, was a new future. And this is Acts 9, verses 30 through 31. It says, when they believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. And so the Apostle Paul, when he went off, and like I said earlier, he was, some scholars believe that he, I believe it too, that he was with the Lord, the Holy Spirit was downloading. If he wasn't, in, you know, if Jesus wasn't standing in front of him, the Holy Spirit was definitely teaching him the Word of God. He was getting the gospel down. And, uh, and but it, also during that time, and we don't know how many years it was, we know it was at least three, but he also, Tarsus was his hometown, and his dad was a tent maker. 
okay? And so if you don't know this about the Apostle Paul, he would preach the gospel, but he also made tents to provide for his needs. And so, but whenever he was in Tarsus, evidently we know because I think it's in Acts chapter 15 where we see that there are believers from Tarsus that show up at, in Acts chapter 15. So we know he was preaching the gospel in, Acts, in, in, uh, in Tarsus in his hometown. And, but he was under the radar now. He wasn't shaking things up. He was under the radar. He's preaching a little bit. He's making a bunch of tents. And I'm sure he's thinking, God, what are you doing? You know, I need to be out here shaking things up. And God's like, no, you need to be in what I'm going to call preparation. And I felt like whenever I was preparing this, I feel like there's some in this house today that you're thinking, you're trying to be a racehorse, and God's saying, hold up, buddy, hold up. We got some more preparing to do. And, and just, you know, hold your horses, hold your horse, hold, hold the line, hold the line, you know, because I'm, I'm preparing, I'm preparing you. And so that the preparation time is very, very, very important. It's for you to be in, in the Word, for you to be in prayer. Um, you know, start, start a, you know, what I did was I started a Bible study, you know, on my own. Because I didn't go to seminary, so I started, you know, from Rhema Correspondence Bible Course, I have something. And uh, get in the Word and, and start getting the Word in you and prepare, prepare. And I'm still preparing to this day. Because uh, it's constantly unfolding. Because here's what was going on. This was the prophetic word that Ananias, that the Lord gave to the Apostle Paul through Ananias. And he said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. And I know the Apostle Paul was sitting there making tents going, my gosh, uh, I haven't seen a Gentile and I don't know when. Um, I'm around my own people, Jewish people, and I'm sure hadn't seen any king. And I'm sitting out here, you know, and I know the Holy Spirit's teaching me and showing me in the Word and the Old Testament and showing me the gospel and all this, but when is this prophetic word going to take place? And what I want to say, because I just feel like I'm somebody here needs to hear this, you're in a preparation mode and don't don't forsake this time of preparing. Because God can use you in a moment, you know, like Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, tending sheep. But that whole time God was preparing him for what he did at the age of 80. Okay? Mark, it may be 80. <laughs> but, but God can do something. God can do something in a month what we can't do in a lifetime. God can do something in a day what we can't do in a lifetime. And I believe that's what this last day harvest is going to look like. He's going to be doing things in a day that we couldn't do in a lifetime of having church. And so, but, but don't forsake this time of preparing. Stay prepared. Stay in the process. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and will listen, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So there's this preparation going on for the plan of God to unfold in your life. Because every one of us in here, God has a plan for your life. And how it unfolds is when we start preparing ourselves and surrendering ourselves to his lordship. 
That's a daily process, moment by moment. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, here it is, prepared in advance for us to do. I had no idea that God had prepared me to be a pastor. If you'd have told me this back when Jade and I first got married, I'll never forget the day, the day that I, I'll never forget this moment in our life. And Jada knows the moment I'm going to tell. I was, I was like, there is something going on in Mark Haney. I would walk around and just start weeping. And I'd just feel the presence of God come over me. And I'm like, I am. And I, literally one day I was like, I'm going freaking crazy. You know? And, but I would just feel the Holy Spirit come over me and I'd just begin to weep. And, and uh, then I saw in the, I was reading the word one day and where I saw Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And I was like, maybe that's who I am. You know, my gosh, that's all, I'm, that's all I do is I, I'd rather laugh, God, but every I just feel your presence and I just start weeping. And it was a good weep. It was like God was just really cleansing my soul and just junk coming out, you know. And, and then all of a sudden I started feeling, I, I started hearing the Holy Spirit saying, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you into the ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, and, um, and I was like, really, God? You know, you know, I haven't been to seminary, God. You don't need that, you know. I mean, the Holy Spirit was telling me all this stuff, and I was like, well, uh, I need to talk to my wife about this. And so I had a little bitty Ford Ranger, right, tan Ford Ranger, and we parked out in front of our mobile home one day, and I said, honey, i got to tell you something. And I think it was after church one Sunday. And she goes, she goes, what, babe? And I just broke down and started weeping. I said, I, I, feel, like, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry, and I don't know what that looks like. And it's kind of it's it's, it's exciting and scary all at the same time. And she looked at me, and she goes, are you for sure he's calling you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, thanks for the support, babe. Uh, but uh, I said, yeah, I really do. I really do. And, uh, and, and it was, it was, it was neat how God was doing it in her too and in me at the same time and, and how, how it all happened. She knew what I was going to share, but I'll, I'll never forget that because I was like, I was crushed because she was like, she didn't, she don't believe it either, God. So here we go. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I am going crazy. I'm not hearing you, but, uh, here we are today and I could tell you the, it's been a, been a process and it's still a process. God's still preparing us for what things uh, is in this last day harvest that we're going to be smack dab in the middle of. And um, so I'm excited. Here's the next scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 10. says, and I'm showing you these scriptures where, um, so that you understand that God's preparing for us. And that, a lot of times we read this scripture and a lot of the, we, we say, well, this is talking about heaven. No, it's talking about right now. It says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So God is preparing these things for us who love him. Guys, we're going to see things that we, we would think that we would... I know that in my imagination, I can dream up some pretty good stuff that God could do. But God's saying, Mark, I can, I'm going to go beyond your wildest imaginations, what I'm going to do in these last days. And he's going to do things in these last days. And I love, Leroy gave me a prophetic word here several Sundays ago. And uh, I had to really chew on it and think about it. But, uh, but the word was, the time is not yet. 
And it kind of was like, God. You know, I'm believing every Sunday for something to happen. And then I have this man come up to me and say, the time is not yet. And I was like, I'm not receiving that, Leroy. And, uh, and, and then I even messaged Janice. I said, ask Leroy what he, what he felt the Holy Spirit was telling him because this ain't jiving with my spirit. And so I was really pressing into that word. And, um, and the Lord said, Mark, it's going to happen, but you're preparing everyone in this church for it to happen. So the time is not yet. Doesn't mean that's not going to happen. It's going to happen, but you're still in preparation mode. I'm preparing you. He's preparing us for what he's about to do. So that when it happens, we're all not going to stand around like this with our jaws open. We're going to be going to work and helping God out what he's doing. We're just going to get in that, get in that flow and flow with him. And everybody said, amen. All right. Now, here, this is what I'm going to close with today. Is Acts, because uh, this was something that I always, you know, showing you why Saul went to Paul. All right, Jesus didn't change his name like Jesus did with, you know, Peter. Peter, you're the rock. Um, in Acts 13, 9 is where we see the transition from Saul to Paul. Who cha- I believe that Paul did it himself, and this was the reason why. Saul, who was also called Paul. And back in that day, they, they did have dual names. because And so Paul gave up his Hebrew name, Saul, y'all remember the Saul in the Old Testament? Okay, King Saul, with its regal connotation and chose to use his Roman name, which was Paul. Now, look at this. And the reason why he chose Paul is because Paul means little or small, because he desired to become smaller in order to present Christ as greater. That's powerful. And this goes back to the apostle, the, the greatest prophet they ever lived was John the Baptist. In John 3, verse 30, he said this about Jesus. He said, he must become greater and I must become less. Because it's all about him. Making him number one. And that's, that's about what your faith is. Is pointing everybody to Jesus. That your life becomes a living sacrifice unto him. And your life, when people get around you, they get around you very long, they ought to know who you serve. And that's the Lord Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. I want everybody to bow your heads in here this morning. And just want to make sure that everybody here knows the Lord as your personal Savior, but also as making Him Lord of your life today. Because He wants to give you a new faith. He wants to get you in that new fight today. He wants to give you a new family, and He wants to give you a new future. And so if you're here today and you've never called upon the name of Jesus, or maybe you've been in church. I've, I've known people that's been in church for a long time just being around the family and just enjoying God's presence, but they never really made Jesus the Lord of their life. Today is the day of salvation. And I want to lead you in this prayer. It's called the prayer of salvation because the Bible says in Romans 10 that, who, that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus uh, died on the cross, that he was rose again on the third day, if you believe that, if you confess that, then it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want to lead you in this prayer. And even if you are saved and you know it, and Jesus is Lord of your life, I want you to repeat this prayer with them. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe you are the Son of God. And you died on the cross for me. And rose again on the third day. Please forgive me of my sins.
and create a clean heart in me. Renew my spirit so I can hear your voice. I accept you as my Savior. You are my Lord. Thank you for saving me. And everybody said amen. And if that's the first time you prayed that, your next step of obedience is following the Lord in water baptism. Let me know that because we're our next time to have water baptism is uh, October the 30th. Is, and we've already got two on the schedule for that. So let me know if you would like to do that. And uh, I want everybody to stand up in here this morning. If you need special prayer, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss because I know we got the kids in the back and our nursery workers and our children's workers. But if you need special prayer, Jade and I will be here. We want to greet everybody before you leave today. But if you need to stay around for special prayer, we want to do that. But, Jada, will you come up here? We're going to speak a blessing over you guys. And we believe in the power of blessing. And so if you're there with your family, hold hands with them. And we're going to speak bless this blessing over you. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you his peace. May the Lord bless your going out and your coming in today. May the Lord anoint you to fulfill the divine destiny that God has given to you. May everything that is brought against you be crushed by the protection that God himself shall provide. May you be blessed in your health. May you be blessed in your relationships. May your children and your children's children be blessed because they are the heritage of the righteous. From this day forward, as you submit yourselves to the Christ of the cross, may your lives be filled with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory and with peace that surpasses all understanding. May your home, as the word of God says, be as the days of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it, and everybody said amen. Hug somebody's neck and say, I'm new. I'm new.